Thank you for listening to an audio resource from Stanwich Church, located in Greenwich and Stamford, Connecticut. The vision of Stanwich Church is to know Christ and make Him known. The Old Testament lesson for today is from Ruth, chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. This can be found on page 262 of your Pew Bible. Today's reading describes the circumstances surrounding Naomi and Ruth's journey from Moab to Israel after many years of suffering and tragedy. Although they were from different nationalities and cultural backgrounds, each was guided by their hope in the God of Israel. A reading from Ruth chapter one, beginning with the first verse. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Mahon and Kilon. They were Ephratites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These two took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other Ruth. They lived there about 10 years, and both Malon and Kilon died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the <coughs> land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you, as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, 
I will not. Your people shall be my people, and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. May God add his blessing to the reading of his holy word. My son is in eighth grade. He's 14 years old, and he and I just love having long conversations. It's usually after the ladies have gone to bed, and we just love chatting. We're both talkers, so we have a great time. One of the topics we love to discuss is, what makes a great movie? Some intrigue or mystery, character development, conflict, conflict resolution. It's got to be a love story usually. Redemption. But what really makes the good movies great, often, is that there's a big aha at the end. There's a big reveal, some kind of information that makes you want to go back and watch the whole movie all over again, knowing what you know. Well, today's story, the story of Ruth found in the Bible, it has all of those ingredients. And I can't wait to tell you what the big aha is at the end. So let's dive into it together to see how this story goes. Ruth chapter 1, verse 1. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. This is just setting the scene. It's introducing us to some of the characters. And there's a little bit of a, a problem here that's being introduced. There's an irony in what's being said. The man and his family, they're from a place called Bethlehem. Bethlehem is a Hebrew word, and it simply means house of bread. House of bread. But it says there's a famine in the land. So what happens when the house of bread runs out of bread? This family has to pick up and move to another neighboring country where there is some wheat growing still in the field. So that's what's happening here. This family's moving from Israel, from Bethlehem, to Moab. Verse 2, we get to know the characters a bit better. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi, and the names of his two sons. Here's a problem. When you go to seminary, as I've done, you learn a little bit of Hebrew, and you learn how to pronounce some of these words. So I'm going to, forgive me, I'm going to pronounce this like there might have sounded to the original hearers. The names of the two sons were Mahlon and Chilion. Chilion, you can try to say that with me. Chilion. Good, now we're speaking Hebrew together. <laughs> Mahlon and Chilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. Now, these names might not be familiar, the names of the characters, the names of the places. Let me try to set the scene a little bit. To the original hearers, it might have sounded a little bit like this. It might have sounded, in the time of the Great Recession... There was a family living in Ohio, John and Sally Jones, and their sons, Junior and Bud. (laughs) They couldn't find any work in Ohio, so they picked up and moved where they heard there was some work in Mexico. So they traveled off to Mexico, and as they were crossing the border, Elimelech thought to himself, well, isn't this ironic? Normally people come this way across the border looking for work. To the original hearers of this story, it might have sounded a little bit like that. Israelites from Bethlehem, the house of bread, going to Moab. 
to look for work. But that's the story. That's how it's going so far. Verse 3, their situation is about to go from bad to worse. But, it says, Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died. And she was left with her two sons. Now, it's hard to overstate what happens in the ancient world when a man of a household dies. It's very problematic for the women. They couldn't just go get a job. That's usually not available to women in the ancient world. They couldn't sign up for help from the social security office. That didn't exist. They were out on their own. So Elimelech, the breadwinner, as it were, dies. So she's left with her two sons. But what happens with the two sons? Well, they do what any young men would do in a foreign land. They fall in love with the local girls. Verse 4, these, the two sons, took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah, the name of the other, Ruth. They lived there about 10 years. But then look what happens in verse 5. Both Mahlon and Chilion died. So that the woman, Naomi, was left without her two sons and her husband. No provision, no breadwinner. Naomi is far afield from her hometown. She's in a foreign land with foreign daughters-in-law with no ability to provide. She's in real trouble here. Verse 6, And she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. Have you heard? There's bread back in the house of bread. The famine is over in Israel. I'm going to summarize what happens in the next few verses. A conversation ensues between Naomi and her daughters-in-law, where Naomi presents the most rational plan for what should happen. Naomi says, look, i got to get home. I'm going back to Bethlehem. I'm going back to Israel. You, my daughters-in-law, you ought to stay here in Moab and try to find Moabite husbands for yourselves. She says, find rest in the households of your husbands. The conversation ensues. They're not really sure what to do. We pick up the story in verse 15 to find out what decision is made. It turns out that Orpah decides to go back with those Moabite, looking for a Moabite husband. It's the rational thing to do in the situation. Verse 15 Naomi said, see, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people, to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you, Naomi. For where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die and there I will be buried May the Lord do so to me and more also if anything but death parts me from you. When Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. Ruth has this amazing, beautiful declaration to her mother-in-law. I'm not going to do the rational thing. I'm not going to go look for a Moabite man. I want to go wherever you're going. Now, so often when we read this, we think of Ruth's loyalty to Naomi. That's the heading in my Bible, Ruth's loyalty to Naomi. I even named today's sermon, Loyal. But the more I've thought about this, the more I've thought about this moment, this declaration from Ruth, I'm not quite sure that's the main focus of this part of the story. Yes, Ruth is declaring her loyalty to Naomi, but I think there's something deeper going on. 
I think that when Ruth met this family, this household from Israel, she encountered something different than she had ever encountered before. Have you ever met like a family, like a Christian family, and you get into their home and you think, there's so much peace here. There's joy, there's lightness, there's real love in this household. I want want what they have. I want to believe in the God that they believe in. See, I think what's happening in Ruth's heart is less about loyalty and more about hope. She encountered something unique and beautiful and different. In the New Testament, we call this the aroma of Christ. And she encountered this in Elimelech and Naomi's household. And she thought, I could go back to Moab and those Moabite guys and those Moabite gods. Or I could go where you're going and make your God my God. It's a declaration of hope, I think, even more than loyalty. The story picks up in verse chapter 2, verse 1. They've decided, the two of them, to travel all the way across the desert, all the way across the wilderness, back to hope, back to Bethlehem. Chapter 2, verse 1, Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. They knew they were going to need to find a man again. It's just the way things worked in the ancient world. And Naomi informs Ruth of this law in the law of Moses that if there was a woman out on the margin, so to speak, left without provision, left without a man, they could find the closest relative of the man. The word here is relative, but we find out in a few verses this is, this is the kinsman redeemer. It was a law that the, if you lost your man, you could go claim your, his kinsman redeemer to redeem you. The Hebrew word is ga'al. I'll show that to you on the wall here. It's a word that's used 23 times in the book of Ruth. To redeem according to the law of kinship, the next of kin. Boaz, according to Naomi, was the ga'al, the kinsman redeemer. But Boaz doesn't necessarily know that. He doesn't know the whole story of what's happened with Naomi and with Ruth. So they hatch a plan of how to get near Boaz. (laughs) Chapter 2, verse 2. Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him, in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. That's a good plan. This plan, you have to know one more law that was on the books in the law of Moses. It's called the law of gleaning. And it meant this. Anybody who was a widow or an orphan or a migrant or materially poor person was allowed to go to the very margins of the farms, the margins of the fields, where the workers would leave a little bit there on the edge so that the people walking by could glean some of that grain or crop and basically live another day. Nobody was creating a business out of the gleaning law. They were just living another day. Remember, there was no social security. There was no social safety net. So they had this law in place. And Ruth and Naomi say, Ruth, you go glean on the edge of Boaz's farm. So that's exactly what she does. She's getting just enough grain to get by. I want to slow down on this for just a moment. I want us to imagine this. There's Ruth, really without provision, but motivated by the hope of the God she encountered in Naomi's household. And she's out there on the edge of this farm. And we talk about marginalized people. Here's Ruth, quite literally, on the margin. She's gleaning some 
grains of wheat there. And Boaz is in the very center of the whole story. He's the true insider. He owns the farm. What does Boaz do? He could have just let this Moabite girl kind of come and go without noticing her. Would have been totally normal for him. But he sees her. Boaz sees this Moabite girl on the margins of his farm. That's amazing enough right there. He sees her. But he does more than that. He invites her to come in and work with the workers. The story tells us that he's pretty impressed with how hardy she is, how good of a worker she is. He keeps his eye on her. And he does something really radical. Those of you who've read Ruth, you know what happens next. He invites her to come have dinner with him. She has a seat at his table that night. Now, this probably was a little bit of a scandal. Did you guys hear who Boaz had for dinner last night? Some Moabite girl. You know, in some sense, Ruth really had no business being there at all, even in the whole country. But he saw her there on the margins, and he invited her in, and he invited her all the way to his table. And then, if you know the rest of the story, I'm giving you huge spoilers here. Not only does he have her at his table, he marries her. Now, this probably would have cost Boaz quite a bit of societal capital, reputational capital. This was a sacrificial move, but he remember, this is a love story. He falls in love with the Moabite girl. He brings her from the margins all the way to his table and all the way into his own love. I've been told there are three types of Christians. There's front pew Christians. They're the enthusiastic ones, all in. It's kind of like the people in high school who always sat in the front of the class, raising their hand and answering the teachers the most. That was me. That was totally me. (laughs) Same kind of thing in church. There's the front pew Christians, the people who are involved in everything. And then the second type is there's the back pew Christians. They come to church, but they're not necessarily diving into every activity. And the third type of Christian is the one who's wet on the park bench outside. Who, for one reason or another, feels marginalized by the church or ostracized, maybe. Or maybe has been wounded by people inside the church. And they think, I'm not really in that club. Here's the amazing story of the Bible. The story of the gospel is that way out there on the park bench, way out there in the margins, that's where God does some of his best work. Boaz saw her out there, and he brought her all the way in. It's really the story of the Bible. It's the story of the gospel. And that's not even the aha at the end of the book. I want to show you what the aha is to the original readers of this book in Ruth chapter 4, verse 17. It's one of the last details of the story. It really tells us why this particular story is included in the Bible at all. Ruth 4, verse 17 says this. By the way, Boaz and and Ruth, they, they have a baby together. The baby's name is Obed, and you're about to learn about him. He gets attributed to Naomi because it's Naomi's blessing. There's a lot of complicated details I'm skipping in the interest of time. Here's what it says in verse 17. Of chapter 4, the woman of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of King David. 
Isn't this amazing? This was the big aha to the original readers. Wait a minute, King David, the Israelite of Israelites, the Jew of Jews, the one who is the true insider of the whole club. He's got Moabite blood in him. This is a story not just for the insiders, but for the people on the margins. This is David's grandma. And there's a bigger aha for those of us who know the whole story. Turn, Go ahead and pull your Bible out. Pull it out of the sleeve in front of you if you're on the lower level, or I think it's under your pew if you're upstairs. I'm not even going to put this on the wall because I want you to open God's Word and find this great aha with me. Matthew chapter 1. It's the first book of the New Testament. Matthew chapter 1. Somebody have a page number? Come on, you front pew Christians. You ought to be there real quick. Grant, 959-ish. There's no page number on there. It's the page before 960. I love the sound of Bible pages turning in the sanctuary. Matthew chapter 1. Here's the aha, guys. Verse 1, it says, The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the main character of the entire story. Okay? He's the culminating figure of the entire story. Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. Book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. And it names a whole bunch of people. Abraham, the father of Isaac, and so forth. Look with me at verse 5. Salmon, the father of Boaz, by Rahab. There's a whole other story there. And Boaz, the father of Obed, by Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse. Jesse, the father of David, the king. Now skip all the way down to verse... um, Thank you, 16, front few Christian over there. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who was called Christ. That's why this story is in the Bible when Naomi was way out there in Moab with Ruth, her daughter-in-law, and Ruth was feeling hope rise up in her heart. It's as if Naomi was communicating the refrain that young Katie sang with us this morning. There is a Redeemer. And they traveled across the wilderness to meet Boaz, who saw Ruth on the margins and brought her in. The story is the same for us. There is a Redeemer. And his name is Jesus. So now that we know the aha, we might ask, what does this all mean? What does this mean for us? What is the great story that's being told in Scripture? 1 Kings 8, verse 60. 1 Kings 8, verse 60. There's this phrase that's in the Old Testament. It's repeated in a number of different places, but I love the way it's said here. 1 Kings 8, verse 60. God did such and such so that, it says, all the peoples of the earth may know that the Lord is God. There is no other. Why did this story take place? So that all the peoples of the earth, this almost seems obvious to us. In the year 2022, we see... The story of the family of God being a global story. There's people all over the world who are worshiping Christ today. It seems obvious to us, but to the original readers of Ruth and of 1 Kings, this would have sounded a little bit radical because there were all these local gods. The God of Moab. The God of Assyria. The gods of Egypt. And yet there's this God of Israel in the midst of it all who claims to be the one true God, the God, the maker of heaven and earth, that all the peoples of the earth, 1 Kings 8, verse 60, may know that the Lord, that Yahweh is God, there is no other. 
And that we have a Boaz. We have a kinsman redeemer. His name is Jesus. Titus chapter 2 verse 13 says this. Jesus Christ who gave himself for us to redeem us. From all lawlessness and to purify or to cleanse from sin. For himself a people. For his own possession. Do you realize it cost Boaz his reputation to bring Ruth to his table and into his marriage bed? And it cost Jesus his very life to bring us to his table of grace and to bring us into covenantal love with him forever. There is a redeemer, Jesus Christ, and he's the redeemer of all peoples. How do we know that all peoples can be redeemed by Jesus? Because we get this window into what's happening in eternity. In Revelation chapter 7, John has this vision of heaven, and it says this, After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, all tribes, and peoples, and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation, redemption, belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. You see, what's happening in eternity is that the people on all the park benches out there have been invited to the front pew to worship Jesus. The people on all the margins out there have been invited to the table. And they are worshiping the Lamb, Jesus Christ, our Redeemer, forever. I love this window into heaven. I almost laugh about it because sometimes I think we're going to be up there worshiping and we're going to look around and we're going to say, oh, they're here too? Did you think this was an insider's club? The story of Ruth and the story of the Bible tells us that the God of all nations invites all of us to his table of grace. There is a redeemer that all the peoples of the earth may know that the Lord is God. There is no other. Amen. To learn more about the mission and vision of Stanwich Church and how you can get involved, please visit stanwichchurch.org.